morning. Good to see you guys here this morning. Uh, it's been great to have Mary with us this morning and share with us what she's doing and a little bit about Generation Z. So excited about her ministry and excited that we're uh, part of a church where we can see that generation growing up right before us and have an impact in their lives. Um, I wanted to give you kind of an update on some things that are going on in the life of Involved because uh, if, if you're just kind of here on a Sunday or maybe you're plugged into a life group, you may not know that we have a, a facility that's in downtown, well, close to downtown Nampa. We call it the ITC. So if you ever hear us say, hey, that's at the ITC, and you're like, what are they talking about? Well, that's our, our facility that we have um, over on the corner of, of 17th and 3rd. And so uh, that is a facility. It's an old church, and it has an auditorium in it. We've recently kind of remodeled it. And El Tesoro, which is a Spanish-speaking church, uh, started holding services there last Sunday. So if you, if you drive by there on a Sunday morning, you might go, hey, there's people meeting there. If you walk in thinking it's involved church, hopefully you can speak Spanish, because that's, that's what you'll have to, to hear. But no, we're really excited that they get to use it, and I'd be praying for them and their ministry, and, and how they can reach people there with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's going on there. Um, also, I want to let you know, in February here, Brett has kind of officially started working in the office, and so it's been fun to have uh, Brett there, and uh, we, Luke and I can... can uh, work with him and pester him a little bit, and I uh, know we've really enjoyed being able to just show him kind of some of the things about ministry and the life of Involve, and excited to see what God's going to continue to do there. So if you've thought about supporting Brett along the way, you've probably received a, a support letter. I know he's come and done a little bit uh, talking along the way, but um, feel free to start supporting him in February, because I think he's going to start uh, depending on that a little bit. And if you have a vehicle that needs to be repaired, he's also doing that on the side. So uh, you can let him know about that. Well, at Involved Church, we're here to be transformed, right? Uh, we believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, that he died on the cross, he rose from the dead. And he didn't do that to transform our circumstances. He did that to transform our lives. And oftentimes we come to Christ, we come to God, we come to a supreme being even thinking to ourselves, if you will just change my circumstance. And what we hear back from our creator, our almighty God, is that he wants to change us. And sometimes he just lets our circumstances be what they are, if he's going to change us. So as we continue to press into our, our study in Romans, you're going to hear some of that as we move forward, that he wants us to love him, serve him, know him, follow him, and give our lives to him. Now as we go through this, just a reminder, if you've been here already, you know this, uh, we're, we're finishing our each, each Sunday with a, a time of question and answering. And so if you would like to, you can text us questions as we move along, and either we'll get to them here in about 30 minutes or so, uh, or we'll be able to get to them through the week. And we have those posted on Facebook during the week, uh, on our website, and those, those types of places. And I think Luke and I, we, we start answering them, and we think, oh, that didn't take too long. And then we're like, man, that took like 10 minutes. So if you have 10 minutes carved out, you can sit down and look through some of those, and we hope to be able to answer the questions that come through this and make it more interactive. Because I think as you're sitting there, you're probably thinking, hey, that's a good point, but... And then you have a question. So feel free to text that in, and we'll try to get that back to you. Well, I want to start off with a question I have for you. Okay? 
Up to this point, we've talked about how Gentiles and the Jews are both sinners. Gentiles are those who were not born Jewish and grew up uh, maybe believing in multiple gods, a completely different god, maybe no god at all, and uh, grew up in a different culture. Jews grew up believing in one god, grew up in the old, uh, believing in the Old Testament, uh, and, and their culture was tradition and what was found there in the Old Testament and the Pharisees and the scribes and how they interpreted it and so forth. Both Jews and Gentiles, Paul argues, are sinners. And so we left off talking about the Jews last week as we jumped into chapter 3. We went through the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. So I have a question for you as we move forward. How does a person go from a sinner to a saint? Now, some of you, depending on your background, you might say, well, don't you have to do like three things to be a saint? And according to uh, the the Roman Catholic faith, yes, there are certain things you'd have to do in order to be a Roman Catholic saint. But that's not the kind of saint we're talking about. We're talking about the saint that's mentioned in the Bible, that you can be a follower of Jesus Christ and you can be holy in God's sight. But the Bible also presents us as sinners, So how do you go from being a sinner to someone who is holy in God's eyes? And that's what I want to take a look at. And hopefully by the end, if you don't have an answer for that, hopefully by the end of the message today you will. So that's where we're going today. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would guard our hearts and minds from things you don't want us to hear and help us hear the things you do want us to hear. Thank you for your word and your truth. We want to dig into it. We want to understand it. And we want to apply it to our lives. And then, Father, we want uh, to take it and give it to other people out in this world. We know there are people around us everywhere who do not know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they need it. Help us to be faithful to present the truth to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week we dealt with this question. Romans 3, chapter or chapter 3, verse 1, it says, So what advantage does the Jew have? And then we went through and we talked a little bit about that. And if you remember, we divided up the side, and you guys were Jews over here, and you guys were Gentiles over here. And we talked about how the Jews grew up a certain way, and they had a certain background. And the Gentiles grew up a certain way, and had a certain background. And regardless of your backgrounds, you're still sinners in need of a Savior. That's true today as well. Regardless of our background, we're sinners and we still need a Savior. So we got to verse 1 and we talked about what advantage does the Jew have. Well, the Jews have a great advantage in that they received the, the word that was given to them in the Old Testament. And they have the stories of Abraham and they have the stories of Moses and they have the stories of King David and they have all those stories and how God used them and ultimately how Christ came about was through the line of Abraham. Those are great things. And so he says that. So it's considerable in every way. What advantages do they have? Well, they're considerable in every way. Well, then you might, again, begin to think to yourself, well, hey, the Jews are pretty special. So then he goes to verse 9, and he says, what then? Are we better off? Well, not at all. So in case you're starting to get a big head, Jews, I know we're just role-playing again, okay? So if I'm pointing to you guys, don't, think, don't take it personal. But in case you're getting a big head, I want you to know, You're not any better off, for we have already charged that both Jews and Gentiles are all under sin. So what's going on here? Paul's going back and forth, back and forth a little bit, and I think we can summarize it just to say this. Jews and Gentiles, so those who grew up understanding the Old Testament and the traditions and the scribes and the Pharisees and how they interpret it, 
and the Gentiles, those who grew up without the Jewish background, alike are on the same playing field when it comes to salvation. Okay? They're all under sin. That's what he talks about here, Romans 3, verse 9. What then? Are we any better off? Not at all. We have already charged that both Jews and Gentiles are all under sin. Now, I think this all under sin is a really important point, and we've talked a lot about the backgrounds and how it doesn't matter which background you are, you're still under sin. But I want to talk a little bit more today about what this means that we're all under sin. And the idea is that each person who was born on the planet is under sin. What does that mean? What does that look like? And so I hope to do this um, experiment well. Sometimes these work, sometimes these don't. Um, But I will start off with a somewhat clear solution. Uh, You can just pretend it's really clear because that would be more effective in your mind. Uh, But I want to point out that back in Genesis, we have a great story in chapter 3 that talks about how sin came into the world. Familiar with that story? Adam and Eve, they were told not to eat of a fruit. And uh, they decided, you know what, we're going to go ahead and eat it because it looks, well, it looks good, right? And so they go ahead and they eat that fruit. And that, as far as the Bible is concerned for mankind, is the first sin to enter into the world, okay? After that, what are some other sins that came up? What's the next sin? Okay, murder, what's before that? Okay, they hid from God, right? So, they, yeah, they failed to worship. They, they hid themselves from God. So that God had an appointment with them to kind of, you know, hang out with them, walk with them in the garden, and they're like, well, let's not hang out with God. Sorry. Um, what, what's some other things? What happened after that? Blaming. Yeah. They didn't take responsibility for their own sin, did they? They're like, oh, you did, well, God, the, the, the woman you gave me, and actually blamed God for it. So, you know, there's, there's a little bit more. So uh, if we go into another generation, well, what do we see there? Well, you already brought it up. First, before murder, we see jealousy. And then you see murder. So let's just add a little bit more. And, and we could keep going, but I think you already get the point that sin can enter into the world rather quickly and affect the whole person right? It doesn't take much to do that. Well, what happens when you have a man who's a sinner and a woman who's a sinner, and the two come together and make a baby? They make a little baby (laughs) that has sin, right? That's just the way it works. Man, woman, have a baby. There's sin. And that's what he's talking about here. How are we under sin? Well, we're all under sin in the fact that it's, it's, it's just passed down from one generation to the next. So I have, we have seven kids in our family. And, uh, and one of them legally is not ours at this point. You can be praying for that. Maybe that'll happen in a year or two or five. Who knows? But if you were to line my kids up here, Without Rebecca and me in the picture, you would probably be able to pick out the one that's not biologically ours. It's not too difficult. Okay? Why? Well, because the other ones look like mom and dad. That's the way the world works, and that's the way sin works. It passes down from one 
generation to the next. We are all under sin. All right? So that is the point that he's talking about here. Every person has a problem, however, accepting the fact that they are under sin. I can go back to when I was a child and I first heard about the fact that I was a sinner. My dad took me downstairs and we were in, the, in, his, in his room and he was showing me scripture because I was starting to ask a little bit about it. And he said, here you go. Here's what it has to say about the fact that you're a sinner. Here's what it has to say about Jesus. And he tr- shared all this with me. And then he said, would you like to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins? And I said, no. Said, no. Okay. And he wasn't going to be really pushy. So he, he lets me go and goes upstairs. My mom says, how to go? I said, you know what, dad showed me some things, and she said, well, did you pray and ask Jesus to forgive you? I said, no. She said, well, come on back downstairs. So she comes through the whole story all over again. And that time, she asked me the question, and for whatever reason, I said, yes. And I don't think I gave in, because I remember it very clearly, accepting Christ as my Lord and Savior at that, sign, at that point, and admitting that I was, in fact, a sinner. But I didn't... Apparently, I didn't want to believe that right away. And the same is true for any person, whether they're a Jew or a Gentile today. We look around, and we look at the playing field and the people all around us, and we say, basically, everybody is, is good. And because of that, we have a hard time accepting this fact that we are all under Sin. Well, the Jews certainly had a difficult time accepting that because they had not only uh, did they have their own, their own faith, but they had the Old Testament. The Old Testament talked about the promises of God, and they thought that they were, they were really special people. And in fact, they were because God did select them for that very purpose. But when it came to salvation and understanding who Christ is, they were on the same playing field. And so Paul here drives that point home. He's already done that so far. When you go to, to Romans 1.18 to the end of the, the first chapter, I think the Jews are saying, yeah, Paul, go get those Gentiles. And then all of a sudden, chapter 2, he starts to turn the tide, and he says, well, I'm going after you now, Jews. And, and the Jews start to think to themselves, wow, he's really attacking us. And then he kind of says, well, you, you have some really good things. But just in case you missed it, I want to show you how the Old Testament points out very clearly that you guys are also sinners. And that's where he goes next. Verse 10, it says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. He does not say there is no Gentile who is righteous. He says there is no one righteous, Jew and Gentile alike. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. That's a tough word today in our culture. People don't like to hear that. And what I like to tell people is, with Christ, or Christ has, in other words, made you worthy to stand before God. And he loves you as his, his creation. You are image bearers of God. But when it comes to sin, our our righteousness, the Bible says, is as filthy rags in Isaiah. He goes on, there is no one who does what is good, not even one. And what Paul does here is he starts rattling off some Old Testament. Psalm 53, 1, it says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and they do vile deeds. There is no one who does good. God looks down from heaven on the human race to see if there is one who is wise. 
one who seeks God, and all have turned away. All alike have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. And so the Jews are hearing this, and they're like, oh yeah, I remember that. I remember that in Sunday school. They probably didn't have Sunday school. But, but they remember that hearing, you know, and reading, and, and going to the synagogues, and having the scrolls open up, and they remember hearing that, and they probably thought at the time that, that whoever was reading that passage was talking about the Gentiles. And Paul says, hey, I'm, I'm talking to you. He goes on. Verse 13, he says, their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Viper's venom is under their lips. So basically, when they talk, this is what's happening. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. When they speak, evil is coming out of their, their mouths. Their feet are swift to shed blood. So the path they, they choose is going to take them down unrighteousness. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths, and their path of peace they have not known. And there is no fear of God before their eyes, is the way he describes them. So let's look at the Old Testament on this. This is what he's quoting from. Now you may start to wonder, well, he's not really quoting word for word. And you're right, he's not. He's going back, and it could be a couple reasons for this. One, it could be he's using the Greek version of the Old Testament in the Hebrew. And then part of it just gets lost in the translation. It could be doing it from memory. Uh, but, uh, but either way, it makes the point as you go back to the Old Testament, he's drawing from the Old Testament. Psalm 5, 9, it says, For there is nothing reliable in what they say. Destruction is within them. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongues. Their feet run after evil. And they rush to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are sinful thoughts. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths. They have not known the path of peace. There is no justice in their ways. They have made the roads crooked. No one who walks on them will know peace. And up to that point, you can say, wow, the Old Testament, I didn't realize, said so much about mankind in general. And maybe the Jews were finding that out too. Wow. He's talking about us. That's tough. Psalm 36.1, and this translation is kind of interesting, but it says, An oracle or a saying within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked person. And they use an interesting word here. Instead of fear, they use the word dread. And I think there's a reason for it, because in the Hebrew it's a little more unusual. And it's the idea of being terrified. They have no, no terror before God. Dread of God has no effect on him. That's the state of people on the earth. Now, sometimes we look at the really bad things, and we say, well, that makes sense. Of course, there's really bad things out there. In fact, I was just shared with this morning, and you could be praying for this. Uh, first responders went, uh, and, and went to a home and found a, a four-year-old, a four- or four-month-old, I remember, um, that was, was beaten so badly that they couldn't even really notice uh, what that child looked like probably not going to live. You have first responders that see that kind of stuff, and you think to yourself, how does that happen? How do people get so far into evil and wickedness? And we look at that and we say, well, see, we're not like that, right? Be praying for those first responders. Be praying for those people that are living through that, and the nurses and the doctors that are working with that, and, and the family, that is dealing with it. But you see that and you go, okay, well, I, I understand why some of this was written, but I'm not like that, right? 
And I think even the Jews might have thought to themselves, well, we're not that bad. In fact, we've been given the whole law. Paul, we were given the law, and I think that's exactly why he brings up the last two verses that we're going to take a look at, verses 19 and 20. He says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are subject to the law, so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment, for no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. And what he's doing here is giving us a launch pad to say, the law does something. The law points out that we are sinners. And we're going to see that as we continue to move through. So I know you might even have questions about this and say, okay, I don't quite see how this fits in. We'll explain it as we continue to go through Romans. But one of the things that Paul says later on is simply this. He says, I would not have known what coveting is, wanting what other people have. I would not have known what coveting is unless the law had said, do not covet. The law points out what sin is and helps us see what sin is. Some of the things we understand, murder, right? But what about jealousy? We may have thought, well, jealousy is not too bad. But the law points it out that that's wrong. And so the law is going to judge Jews and Gentiles alike. It's going to reveal to all people, both Jews and Gentiles, that there's a right and there's a wrong. And that's where the judgment of God comes from. And so that's what he's talking about here, I think, in these two verses. And like I say, it's going to be kind of a launch pad to where we go next when we talk more about the law and how the law works, this idea of sin and justification and God's judgment ultimately in the end. Now, there's one thing I think that's really important to bring out here. I already kind of mentioned that I think from our point of view, we look around at mankind and we say, people are, people are okay. People are basically good. Why would God talk about us like this? I think this is something that we, we struggle a lot with because when we read it, we think our, our mouths are just spewing out all kinds of evil and wickedness. That, that can't be right. I don't see that. I mean, there's really bad things, but I don't see that all the time. And so what we have to do, I think, is take a step back and look at it from two points of view. We can look at it from man's point of view and see that, hey, we're pretty much all very similar. Yeah, you have like your areas of sin, and I have my areas of sin, and you say some bad things, and then I say some bad things, and and we're about the same. But when you step back and look at it from God's point of view, you have to go all the way back and go, he was there when he created Adam and Eve. And he was there when he put them in the Garden of Eden. And he saw how incredible the relationship he is he had with his own creation. And he saw the beauty of it. And when he created everything, what did he say? It is good. Fast forward to chapter 6 and he looks out over the world and he sees the sin and how sin is destroying people. And he looks out and it says that there was great sorrow in his heart. Because he saw the effect of sin. And so when God looks down, he sees how far we've gone from how uh, he created this perfect environment and this perfect relationship. And he sees how far we've removed from that. So, what is the hope? How do we process all of this? And I have to say first, we have to understand that this is what a person is like without Jesus. We want to figure out how to go from a sinner to a saint First of all, this is what a person is like without Jesus, okay? 
Here's what he says. Everyone is under sin. We already covered that, right? Positionally, we are under sin. We were born, you were born in sin. Everything you say is evil from God's point of view. I'm not talking about from our point of view, from God's point of view. Every way we live is evil from God's point of view. Everything we do is, is like filthy rags, it says in Isaiah. And there is no fear of God. We're, we're following our own desires, our own wants, and so forth. A great passage on summarizing all this, Ephesians 2, 1, it says, And you were dead, literally dead, without life, spiritually dead. Okay, I'm not talking about physical, but spiritually dead, in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived, according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of power of the air. The Spirit is now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them with our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and were by nature children under the wrath, as others were also. So that's the way we started this life. Just like that. In sin. What hope is there? He goes through a few verses here, and he's like, this is who you are. And you look at that and go, man, we're, we're pretty bad. And that's why this verse is, is so powerful. But God, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. And so if this works, I'm supposed to be able to clean it up. We'll see. Switch it around here. We could say this is, this is Christ. And we're told as Christians, when we place our faith in Christ, that it is, in fact, in Christ. I didn't think I was going to get that open there for a moment. So if we place our life in Christ, he should, hopefully, it's not working. It worked yesterday. There you go, sanctification it takes us. <laughs> Maybe it loses its power over time. Oh, man. I tried it like ten times and it was working. So, um, Well, it's supposed to have this chemical reaction and clean it all up, but it worked at home. So you can see it's getting kind of lighter. And yes, maybe over time it will work. But uh, the idea is it's supposed to clean us up. Maybe it'll even make a greater impact that it doesn't work. You'll be like, I remember that. It was like the time, one of, some of you guys will be like, what's the object lesson that you guys most remember? For those of you who are here, all of you will say, there was a time you tried to bake cookies on stage. Yeah. And it did not come out very well. So those are the ones you remember. This is the one you'll remember as well. Well, it's supposed to clear up. And when it clears up, and maybe chemicals when they sit overnight don't work as well. Um, Jesus Christ cleans us up. And cleans our sin up. Um, That's what he's going with here. Made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him 
and seated us with him in the in heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. What an incredible passage. And you can continue to go on in that passage. For by grace are you saved through faith. But not of yourselves is the gift of God. Not of works. So that we wouldn't boast. We are his workmanship, right? Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. God has a plan for each and every one of us, but it starts with us giving ourselves to him and asking him to cleanse us. But we have to first admit that we're sinners and that we need to be saved. And there's a lot of people that have a hard time with that. Hopefully you have come to that point and you said, yes, I am in desperate need of a Savior. I'm in desperate need of Jesus Christ to come and cleanse me and work a whole lot better than this experiment did. You were born a sinner, but you can be reborn a saint. Some of you may be familiar with John chapter 3, story of Nicodemus, and he comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, hey, how can, how can I have eternal life? And Jesus says, you have to be born again. He's like, well, that's not possible. He says, yeah, it is. In spirit, you can be born again. You could be reborn. We were born sinners, but we could be reborn a saint, if we place our faith in Jesus Christ. And so then, once that happens, God the Father looks down and sees us and doesn't see that sinner. What he sees is someone who's been united to his son, Jesus Christ, and now he sees a saint who is declared righteous, who is justified before God. So that Hebrews 10 can be true, where we can walk into the presence of God with confidence because of the work that Jesus Christ has done. So while that passage is difficult to swallow, there is great joy as we continue to move through Romans and points to the fact that Jesus Christ is the one who gives us forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Father, thank you for that. That's an incredible gift, an incredible passage. We have moved from a sinner to a saint because of the work of your son, Jesus Christ. And if there's anybody here who has not ever placed their faith in your son, that they would do so today for what a privilege and honor it is to step into the presence of a holy God, to worship and know and pray to our creator. and have that eternal relationship with you. We ask that you would uh, help us to remember these things and share them with others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We'll we'll move into our question time. Did you get a few this morning? All right. All right, thanks for the questions. These are very good ones. Um, There is one uh, we need clarification on. So uh, 
the person who asked about the difference between moral free will and spiritual free will, could you please clarify with us what you mean by those terms, and then we'll try to answer your question. But I do have two others um, yep. that we could, we could tackle. So the first one is this. Have all people been sinners and non-blameless since the days of Adam and Eve's sin, or have there been exceptions? Example is Noah in Genesis 6, and which, where it talks about him walking with God, being blameless and righteous. Yeah. And, all people um, are born sinners. I think the the difference is like like Noah, uh, Enoch is mentioned um, as one who walked with God. Abraham, all of those. Even in the New Testament, it points back to that they were saved by faith, so that even though they had sin in their lives, they also believed in a God. And so there is that one passage where it says, "All have turned away," and. Uh, that one may be one of the most problematic ones because it seems like even though there was sin in like, you know, Noah's life, mm-hmm. um, on one hand he did turn away, but he also had a, a relationship with God because somehow he pursued God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do think that there are, yeah, were exceptions. But again, it wasn't because they're not sinners. Mm-hmm. It's because they actually had faith. And it's faith that saves you. Mm-hmm. Even today, our faith is in Jesus Christ at that point, before Christ was on the scene, it could have been their faith was in the law like Moses, and, or their faith was in their knowledge of who God is as creator and, and so forth. So either way, yeah, they would be born sinners. It seems like it's pretty clear later in Noah's life, especially after the flood, that there's, he there's definitely, definitely has sin, sin yeah. in his life. Yeah. So um, you can read about that. So, yeah. uh, so uh, the, the next question is, was the law made to be broken? What value is the law to the New Testament believer, and is this, I think they're saying, is this talking about Leviticus law or the Ten Commandments? Um, I think, yeah, both. I mean, it's really hard for Jews to separate out. They certainly kept the Ten Commandments, and that was really important, but they also uh, had a high regard for any of the other laws, including additional laws that scribes and Pharisees added on as well. Mm Uh, and so a lot of them would go back and say, well, the, old t- the, the Ten Commandments would have kind of started it, and a lot of the laws have even branched out of those Ten Commandments. Um, and so there'd be more like laws of application of even of the Ten Commandments in some ways. Um, so certainly those laws that were given to us in the Old Testament uh, have an impact, I think, somewhat on our faith. There's some things like the Lord, uh, the first, well, the first commandment, uh, you shall have no other gods before me. That's when we would, would say, yeah, that's when we definitely carry on to today. Um, you should not make a graven image. You know, the first four talk about our relationship with, with God. And Jesus comes and says, you know, there's two commandments, two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's like the first four of the Ten Commandments. And then love your neighbor as yourself, which is like the last six of the Ten Commandments. And both of those can be... Uh, you know, that can all be applied to today. Um, the one that's probably trickiest is Sabbath day. Yeah. Literally for somebody in the Old Testament, that was Saturday. I think it's still important for us to have a day of rest. Mm-hmm. And I think in our culture, we don't talk about that much, probably as Christians. Um, but the day of rest can be a Saturday or a Sunday or Monday, there's a lot more freedom. And ultimately, as Hebrews argues, our rest is in Christ. Mm-hmm. And so we, we can have, you know, var- uh, variations on that. 
Um, I don't know if that answers the question because there's probably a lot more to that one. There's, I'm sure there is, so, but yeah. that was really good. So Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> sure. You bet. Uh, so that's all I got in. If you have more, feel free to text them in. We'll tackle them this week or possibly next Sunday. Um, but, yeah, I wanted to I encourage you to tune in Thursday at 6 p.m. That's when we post uh, online, both Facebook and on our live site. Um, so, yeah. Great. All right. Yeah, that sounds good. Sounds like we'll answer at least the one maybe that was at the beginning there this week. So. All right, well, as we just kind of wrap up, here's your time to respond. We'll give you a couple minutes to just reflect on a few things. Uh, Reflect on who you were before you knew Jesus. Now, I was really young, and I'll be honest, this is kind of a hard question for me, because I really don't have many memories before knowing Christ. Now, I do know growing up and being in a Christian home, there was a time when I rededicated my life to Christ. Uh, And so I can definitely talk about that, but... uh, but for each person, it's going to be a little different. So reflect on who you were before you knew Jesus. I was a sinner for sure. So what change has, has Jesus made in your life? And then make a commitment to share this change in your life with someone this week. Uh, we're supposed to be reaching people, right? You know, I think as a church, sometimes when we talk about growth, wouldn't it be great to see more people come to faith? Wouldn't it be great to see more baptisms and all of that? And sometimes we think, hey, we'll just open the doors and people will come in. But we have to do our part to go out. This is a time for us to come together and worship. And I hope you understand when we put on a service like this, we do it for a couple of reasons. One, to honor and give glory to God. Two, to teach his word Three, to evangelize. We think Sunday morning is a time for us. People will, will know we are Christians by how we love each other and carry. People will see how we worship a God. And so we want to do that in front of people and evangelize to them that way. But they need to be invited. So, uh, so share your story with someone this week. Make a commitment to, to do that. And whatever your story is, maybe you grew up in the church. Maybe you were saved later on. Maybe you grew up in the church and still were saved later on. Share your story. Make a commitment to share some with somebody this week. And then this one. Does this passage help level the playing field and give you more compassion towards people you might judge because of sin? In other words, if you kind of grew up, maybe already um, thinking to yourself, hey, I, you know, I grew up in the church, I'm kind of a little more you know, with God than other people. I got my act together a little bit more than others, like, I mean, you would never say that out loud, right? But maybe in your mind you might think it. Does this passage help level the playing field? Do you realize that you're a sinner too, that you were born just like everybody else? It doesn't matter if you're born in the U.S., if you're born across the, the, the world, we're still born in sin. Is there a relationship in your life that could be repaired if you approach that person with this kind of compassion? Sometimes we grow bitter and anger. We look at other people and the choices that they're making and we grow angry towards them. But you know what? They're, they're born in sin just like you and me. And they need a Savior just like you and me. And that's the way we ought to approach people. So think about those for a couple minutes um, and then we'll, we'll come back together, take an offering um, and sing and worship our Lord.